Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you joined us again this week. Gerald is here with you, of course, your host. And as always, I have a co-host, a guest host that comes in, the other P on the pod, if you will. And it's very exciting for me. I just actually tweeted out as we're recording this about an hour ago that 2023 is shaping up to be the year of first-time guests on the show. And we have another one tonight that I'm excited about. I just met this guy in person about a month ago. We went to see, it was Megan, right? That we met at the Megan premiere. Is it, that right, man? It was Manny? Megan. It was absolutely Megan. Man, that's that's why I know I love you. Because anything associated <laughs> with that movie, I'm in love with. So there you go. Aww. You touch, touch me so, touch me so. <laughs> but he's a, he's a film critic here locally to me. He works at WFMY News 2. He's a movie critic there. That's a local TV station in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is about an hour from where I am here in Durham. But we're in the same area here in North Carolina. He's a great guy. Say hello to Manning Franks, first time guest of the show. What's up, man? Welcome to the P's. It is an absolute honor to be here. Holy cow. I remember when we first, I didn't know you were actually in North Carolina. And then mm-hmm. when you came up and introduced yourself, I was like, wait, you said your name is Gerald. I'm like, oh, hi, Gerald. Two peas in a pot. Yeah. Wait, what? I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. My, my reputation preceded me there, which is great, or otherwise I'd be late for all my appointments. Uh, but <laughs> our friend Lindsay, our mutual friend Lindsay, who's yeah. also a film critic. Uh, you know, because I said, hey, you know, I'm Gerald, man. Nice to meet you. And she was like, yeah, this is two peas. And you were like, two peas? You know, and it was yeah. it was great. It was like my first experience of somebody like knowing who I was without knowing who I was. So that was pretty cool. Uh, well, look, man, we do a top five show here, as you know. And I sent you a list. I said, yeah, you these did. are the items that we have on the docket for the show. And you kind of honed in on what we're going to be talking about tonight. I have something I want to tell you. Uh-oh. But first... Without giving any titles away or anything like that, why did you want to do this top five topic? What is the top five topic and why did you want to do it? Well, the top five topic is top five movies that still hold up today. And Mm -hmm. I picked that only because I grew up watching a lot of classic film. Uh, I had a library card and any good kid with a library card who loved movies, what do you do? You rent movies from the library. And I watched so many DVDs, VHSs, and I just kind of played them on repeat. And a lot of the ones that I could watch were classic because that's the one my moms could – well, not all of them. But those are the most of the ones my mom could be like, okay, I can let him watch that and know he'll be fine. So to this day, I have such an affinity for classic film. And as I got older – a greater appreciation for films I may not even have liked as a kid. So I want to talk about these films that still hold up today, not only for me personally, but what I feel like we can take away and learn something as a whole uh, when we watch these from with, with new uh, modern lens, if you will. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I want to tell you that I really appreciate this topic because this is the easiest list I've ever done on the show. And I was joking with some people. I know, I know. Let me explain. I've done over 200 of these episodes and it gets to a point and you know some of the stuff behind me might be spoiler alerts for you because we're on camera tonight so people that are watching on YouTube will see it but if you're listening on the podcast you won't see it but there's some stuff in my backdrop here that might give some things away Uh but some of my favorite movies of all time come from really the 70s and we decided to go pre-1980 with this list. 
Now, you're a little bit more of a purist. So you were texting me the other day and you were saying <laughs> that you went even deeper, right? And you went nothing past 1970. Is that what you told me? It wasn't like something that I told myself. It just seemed to happen, you know, where uh -huh. I just became like, wow, the films that I gravitated toward were like, well, older. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Well, so the classic stuff, how far, I mean, don't give away any titles, but what are we talking here, man? Are we talking like the silent film era stuff or? Not that far back. Um, okay. Right. No, no Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton over here. It's the, it is late thirties. That's all I'm going to say. Late thirties. Okay. All right. Well, mine is, I, I think you know this, but I'm a huge horror fan. I'm a horror junkie. It's my favorite genre of film. And a lot of the foundation pieces, pieces to that genre came you know, well before the era of 1980s. Right. That's when it kind of had its renaissance, its revolution, and it kind of took off. But a lot of stuff was building up to that movement, and it became just this, you know, genre that's just rocked the world after that. But I think it, that's another reason why it was so easy for me, because I love a lot of those horror classics that really kind of built right. the genre. Uh, and then, ironically, the other types of movies that were really easy for me to kind of pick for this list were musicals. So I have a weird yep. mix of musicals and horror, which is a strange, you know what? Rocky horror, man, Rocky horror. Yeah, that's a that's true. Musical. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So Manning Franks is here. First time guest to the mm -hmm. show, uh, do this local to me and hopefully we get to see more of each other, but nonetheless, we're virtual tonight and we are counting down our top five movies that still hold up today. So these have to be films that came out before 1980. So otherwise, no real parameters or limitations. So Manning, I'm going to let you get us started, brother. What is your number five movie and why? My number five movie is a film I saw only recently in comparison to the other five. But my number five, and I was telling I was telling Gerald this before, um, that it is so difficult for me personally for this list because I kept going back and forth. There's a list of a whole bunch of honorable mentions. And my actually my five and six kept going back and forth. My my six is a little more well known, but I decided to go with a film that is not as uh, spoken into the same breath as maybe a, 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 a some higher profile profile films. Um, but my number five is Billy Wilder's The Apartment from 1960. Mm. The Apartment, uh, Jack Lemmon over here and Shirley MacLaine. They are a breath of fresh air in this film, what I believe to be one of the smartest romantic comedies of all time. What really holds up for this day is not only some of the incredible humor. Come on, the spaghetti strainer with the tennis racket is a visual gag that'll be in my brain forever. But kind of like the office dynamics and kind of like it's it's basically a very cynical film and how you deal with your relationship with work. And I don't really see many films in that time period really doing that. Yes, of course, you have some films like where there's like some evil capitalist like Mr. Potter, but the people who work for them are just like the the Jack Lemons, where they become this, oh, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, to where he's letting the guy use his apartment and kind of some really, uh, how do I say this? How unsavory can we go on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody As, listens to this, first of all. Second of oh, all, what, well, whatever you want. <laughs> I, I listen to it. That Hey, you know what? I listen to it. That counts for something. That counts. That's but good. No, yeah. letting, letting, letting his boss use his apartment for his extramarital flings. Like, I mean, come on over there. It's like some of this stuff is kind of seedy. But it's 1960. Yeah. We're getting into this new kind of re revolution over here with filmmaking. And Billy Wilder is kind of ushering in by some, making some really smart, biting commentary on office work culture and just kind of making a really smart romance at the same time that feels both modern but also incredibly uh, – um, 
timely. And to this day, I still think is one of the best, the better kind of will they, won't they romances that are out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a perfect film by any means, but I love it. Yeah, I'm a fan of this one, too. You know, ironically, I just saw this a couple years ago. This is an Oscar winner. Yes, it is. You know, the Academy does not tend to nominate or definitely award comedies that much. So that's an interesting kind of historical piece to this to this Mm -hmm. film. But I actually watched this because I had a guest on a couple years ago and we did our favorite Oscar winners for Best Picture. And he named this movie. I'd never seen it. And I went and watched it after that episode. I did enjoy it. You know, it's a throwback and it's kind of taboo and kind of, I don't know if problematic is a good word to use. Cause I mean, I think it's all in good fun, but I mean, right. there's some definitely risque stuff that I don't, I don't know. It's weird that you could get away with it in 1960 and now it might be kind of like your eyebrow might kind of go up a little bit, you know? That's it. Yeah. That's funny because that's why I think it still holds up today because some of the stuff it talks about, you know, some of the jokes that it makes, it's kind of risque for then, but now it's kind of like, Oh, I can see where I can see where right. some things may have been taken. Right. No. Yeah. Great flick, man. Uh, good pick to get us started. The apartment is your number five. Yes. My number five is from 1964. I'm not going to go horror to start my list. I'm going to go musical. One of my favorite musicals of all time. I don't think it's my absolute favorite musical of all time, and you'll see why as we get a little further into my list because I have another musical coming up. But at number five, it is My Fair Lady. Oh. 1964. Oh, okay. Do tell. Yeah, I have a great kind of love affair with this movie because I had to watch it in high school. And Mm. I remember at the time, I think it was like 10th or 11th grade, we had to watch it for a literature class I was taking. And I remember thinking at the time, like, this is so stupid. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, (laughs) you know, this is gonna be so boring. I'm gonna fall asleep, like, you know, head on the desk or whatever. And I just really was taken by it. I really enjoyed Mm. it. We watched it over like a couple days because, you know, it's like a two and a half, three hour movie. And I was so excited to see the the second part of it the next day in class. I was so excited to finish it. And this is back in the day of VHS, you know, so I couldn't go home and watch it. I had to wait. Yeah. But Audrey Hepburn is an absolute icon. Uh, one of the most recognizable faces in the history of Hollywood. Just an absolute starlet. One of the best of all time. And her portrayal of Eliza Doolittle here in this kind of like rags to riches, kind of like, you know, she becomes this debutante and it's kind of funny because she's fumbling through it and you know the rain in spain stays mainly on the plane and yes. the, the whole the whole thing man i mean great musical numbers and you know a lot of my regular listeners will know this but i'm not a musicals guy i like maybe one musical every like four or five years like i just don't really get into them but this is one of my favorite musicals yes but it's also one of my favorite movies it's probably in my like top 50 or 75 of all time if i had to make that list uh, mm. But yeah, I love this movie, man. It just brings back a lot of fond memories, too, from it was definitely the first musical like that I was like kind of in my mind enough to like on my own, you know, like to really grab it and like, be like, I like this movie and suggest it to people and stuff like that. So uh, what do you think of My Fair Lady? Are you a fan of this one? Well, I was about to ask. This is funny because I used to watch this. This is one of the ones I remember vividly renting at the library when I was little and seeing this one and kind of always being confused at why Rex Harrison was only talking and not singing. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> no, uh, that right. aside, like, no, uh, yeah, she, like Hepburn was, she was an absolute vision uh, and was an amazing actress. Like, I don't think I connected with my fair lady like you have over here. And now I'm curious because I want to be able to experience this again from your eyes. Did you have to watch it in high school or was that just a weird thing that we did? 
No? I didn't have to. No, see, for me, I remember getting it on VHS, but I think it had. I can't remember if the VHS was like two different VHSs, and I had to put in the other it one was. when it ended. It was like a double thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was that's what I remember watching it, yeah. and, I, and I think I liked it, but it didn't connect with me because I couldn't remember the songs. I don't know if I can remember the songs right now. Even I need, but now I'm curious, and I want to go back and witness this. Yeah, uh, yeah, give it a go, man. I haven't seen it oh, actually yeah. in a long time myself, so maybe we could have like a viewing party or something like that. Listen, <laughs> I will be out. happy to do a watch party along with you because I'm curious. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I think I'm fairly unfairly misjudged it. All right, nice. So my fair lady is my number five. And we're up to our fours, Manning. What do you got at number Ooh. four, man? Now, this is a film that I love. I love, 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 love immensely. Um, and if I had it for if I had, if I was doing favorite films, this would be at the top of the five. But I'm kind of going a little bit lower for this number four. My number four is It's a Wonderful Life. This is mm, if you nice. guys if you guys know me you know my love and affinity for this uh, Frank Capra film uh, one of my favorite directors one of my favorite actors in Jimmy Stewart uh, but this one I think is ahead of its time because not only was it actually not only does it hold up today it was ahead of its time I want to add that and preface that because it it did not do well at the box office as people probably really know um, and it has only gotten better as time has gone on and on and on and on because it resonates with the themes that people are still experiencing to this day. They still mm -hmm. hold up. It's not higher because there are, I think there are some really kind of, hmm, shall we say, unsavory things that happen that, you know, with some be some of the dynamics of the characters. And that's why it's not higher. But I think it still holds up because the message that they have, the message of, of, of basically the famous line of, please God, I want to live again. How many mm -hmm. times have we thought, ourselves where it's been like oh wow maybe the world would be better without me how many of us have been right. to that low point in the 19, 1940s that is a kind yeah. of a very dark place to go especially with the code and everything going on this is i think an excellent film that really really holds up because these are feelings that are kind of still permeating now and i think i'm just happy that this movie exists and has been yeah. so widely seen as it has been to this point yeah, it's deep, man. It's a, it it's is. got a lot of deep thematic things going on in it. But, you know, it, it, I mean, it's a holiday staple around this house. You watch Same. it every holiday season. Yeah, Same. Yeah, for sure. Christmas Eve every year without fail. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I'm Great not film. in the mood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it helps bring everything up, you know. So it's a wonderful life. Great pick. That's your number four. I tell you what, man, I, I, I'm debating whether to dive into horror just yet because my number oh. four and my number three are pretty much interchangeable. Mm. Come on, do it. Do it. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and start, because I have three horror films in my top five. So I tell you what, I'll go ahead and give you my first of three horror Please. films here in the top five at number four. And it just makes the brief because it's Ridley Scott's Alien from 1979. Mm. Good pick. Good pick. I'm so sorry to my regular listeners for the majority of this list because they're going to be like, this again? But <laughs> it's a good movie. One of my, it absolutely is one of my favorite films of all time. I've told this story about a thousand times on this podcast, but this is the movie that was my gateway to the horror genre. I saw this film way too young. I was like eight years old and I snuck into the living room when my parents had rented it and they were watching it. And I've told the story before, but I was peeking through the door watching what they were watching. And it was during the, the chestburster scene with Kane. And no, I haven't been the same since 40 years later. I'm still a horror junkie. I'm still kind of salivating for that bloodlust. And this was, you know, and then this is just a creepy movie. I've seen it 50 times. It's, it's basically a haunted house movie on a spaceship. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, 
the first half of the movie is very atmospheric and setting the tone. And then the second half of the movie is kind of like all out. The aliens losing the ship. Like, like I said, kind of a haunted house vibes. But yeah, I've talked about this movie so many times. I want to hear what you think about it, but it's my number four. What do you think, man? Oh, listen, first off, my condolences for being scarred forever with uh, the chest burster <laughs> scene because that is gruesome to walk into. At eight as years old, you don't want to see that. Eight years old, man. Oh, I am so yeah. sorry. But you know what? It informed you because now you love it so much. And I yeah, agree. Yeah. This is my favorite alien film in the Alien franchise. This is – I love it. A haunted house on a spaceship. That is the best mm-hmm. description I've ever heard about it. I don't think I've actually everyone, anyone has uh, mentioned that to me about how to frame it, but that's kind of perfect okay. because that's a that's a great way to be able to define I, I love it. This is probably one of my favorite Ridley Scott films of all time. The atmosphere. You can tell he used to work in set decoration uh, or set designing because this is – our direction. Because this is such an atmospheric film and he has that touch with this movie and it's just so brilliant. This, that horror, suspense, this is a whole package. I love this number four. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm always interested to hear what my guests think when because yeah. Yeah, I don't mind if if they dislike it, but at the same time, I'd be like, really? Like, <laughs> I love this so much. I, listen, yeah, if you Which, dislike I mean, I know, it, and... you know, yeah, what's going on with you? Yeah, yeah you know, need to right? figure that out. Yeah, try to watch it at eight years old. You'd have been fine. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe an eight year old <laughs> may have a problem, but other than that. <laughs> All right. So, and my parents didn't do that, by the way. I, you know, I always make sure that the world knows they were innocent. I snuck into the room to watch it. So it was not, it was not, it was not them. It was you. <laughs> so alien is my number four. Like I said, just making it at night from 1979. As we said, we would not do any movies post 1980 on this list. Manning, you have the apartment. It's a wonderful life. What do you got at number three, buddy? Oh, this is one that I was going back and forth. I wanted to put two musicals on my list, but I tried to put it back. I tried to have one of every genre. Well, there's two of one genre on here. Um, Comedy, drama, and then musical. Kind of slash fantasy. Uh, This is one I believe that is probably out of the year that this came out. There are two big movies, but I think one has stood the test of time in comparison to one that really has not. And the one from 1939 that I'm talking about is The Wizard of Oz. And we have our first crossover, buddy. That's also my number three. Are you so we serious? Have, oh, it is. And it was wow. it was the one that I was it was the one I was debating putting at number four and I, you know, swapped it for Alien, but good choice. we can kind of go back and forth about it. But go ahead, why do you love Wizard oh of Oz? Oh my goodness. I love the Wizard of Oz. This is one that I loved as a kid. I kind of fell off of it for a while and then I rewatched it kind of as an adult and have a new appreciation. I still have the VHS for this that I have worn out. Because there is such a beautiful vibrancy for The Wizard of Oz. It's very simple. It's literally a girl runs away from home, gets caught up in a twister, and suddenly is transported to a fantasy land. And a musical life abounds, or what have you. And I absolutely adore this because not only is Judy Garland just kind of a revelation and a, a true star in the making, every single place she goes to is has some sort of is, – is, like, is, is iconic. It is iconic, and it holds up to this day because of its simplicity. It has a beat. It knows what it's going to. Meet someone, musical. Meet someone, musical. But it never gets boring. It's always still feels so fresh even to this day. And I think that's why it really succeeds because of, well, because of A, its uh, endearing characters and its simplicity. And I think in that fantastical simplicity, it really succeeds. I mean, this is such a – I agree with everything you said. It's also my number three. This is such a – just a pop culture yes. phenom, just a zeitgeisty of all the movies, at least that I'm going to mention, this is the most like recognizable film across all generations. 
you know, my son is nine and then I have another son is going to be four in a couple months. Mm. They know what the Wizard of Oz is. Obviously, we know what it is. My folks showed it to me. You know, they know what it is. It's just multi across all generations and it's universal in that way where I, I honestly believe this, that a hundred years from now, it still will hold up. Like, I honestly think that. 100%. And I'm not even worried about where technology is going to go or, you know, our entertainment with, you know, screens and YouTube and everything else. Like, I think the Wizard of Oz is always going to have a place in that conversation because of just how revolutionary it is, how like childlike it is and how it just really takes us to this place of nostalgia, you know, and, and it always will. I feel like, you know, this is a movie that, and I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I didn't, I wasn't mm-hmm. really a huge musicals guy. So this is the other one, by the way, that I consider a musical <laughs> that's on my list. Uh, but my dad, who was like literally the least musicals person on the face of the earth, like he was a NASCAR guy, like he was, you know, Merle Haggard, like it, never cared about musicals, <laughs> loved this movie so much. And I remember him making us watch it as a family on like once or twice a year when it played on like TBS. You know, TNT would run Mm -hmm. it. It'd be commercials or whatever, but we would have to watch it because it was on. And he would like make me and my sister watch it. You know, it's like we we (laughs) kind of secretly enjoyed it, even though he, you know, was making us or whatever. And it was just one of those things that I just remember spending time with my family watching it. I show it to my kids and I enjoy it from that flip side perspective. But yeah, this movie holds a special place in my heart, man. And, and when you talk about the movie itself, I mean, you nailed it. But I mean, you know, the characters, Dorothy, the Tin Man, Scarecrow, I mean, yeah. even Toto. I mean, they're all iconic, dude. Like, you can see an image of literally anybody from this movie. <laughs> like, literally any character from this movie. They and they're literally iconic. Yeah, exactly. So love I it. love it, man. It is so revolutionary. And it's easily one of my favorite films of all time. So we matched up there on number threes, man, I'm- The Wizard of Oz. I did not think that was going to – I didn't think we were going to be able to match up at all because I'm like, okay, we're going to have different movies. But the fact yeah. that not only did we match up with a movie, we matched up at the exact same – wild, 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 wild. Same number. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> so there we go. Wizard of Oz, our number threes. We're up to our runner-ups. Manning, what do you have Ooh. at your number two, buddy? Ah, uh, well, my number two is a movie that's – okay, Sidney Lumet. Uh, this is a director that I find to be incredibly revolutionary. Uh, not only has he done Dog Day Afternoon and Network, there's another film. I didn't want to have too many of his, but mm-hmm. there is one film that I wanted to have from 1957 that I feel like is a kind of a testament not only to great filmmaking, but also timely filmmaking to the time then and the time now. And that's 12 Angry Men. Yeah, 12 dude, Angry honorable Men. Mentions. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's so good. It is the definition of how to do an incredible drama all set within like it is the blueprint of how to do it all within one room, one setting. And the strength of that ensemble cast is one of the best bar none that you will ever see in a film. Take notes, people, because what you have here is what I truly believe, thanks to Henry Fonda leading a great cast, is kind of like a great moral quandary of how someone sticks his ground and is like, no, we're going to make sure that this man has a fair trial. And especially with all that we've had with police brutality and just racial and racial injustice that we had as well. Like this movie still from 1957 to here, this one holds up because not only is it quality film filmmaking, 
it is like substantive. And I think while Wizard of Oz substance is not as much in comparison right. to the last time, it's more fantastical, right? It's fantastical. And it's like the, it's like the, uh, conversely, we also have 12 Angry Men. And I think 12 Angry Men might be one of the most, um, one of the best films that kind of ages like a fine wine, but the wine was already finely aged when it first came out and it just sticking sure. that way. It's just chugging. Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating, this is my honorable mentions, and I do love this movie. What's fascinating to me about this movie is that it's so poignant so many years later. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, remakes are a thing, of course, but I'm not even talking about remakes. I'm talking about if this movie had initially been made, like, in 2023 or 2022, like, it would have made sense. Like, it would have been, it would have resonated just as much today, 60 years later, and that's just fascinating to me i mean you were talking about being ahead of of its time when you were talking about the apartment i think this is another one that was yeah maybe unfortunately ahead of its time because it's a theme that still exists really um and the message is kind of built into the story here and you mentioned police brutality and a lot of other difficult things you know in the news these days right and i don't know man it just kind of captured something that and again, I use the term unfortunate, but unfortunately has kind of lived on. And the, the themes are still prominent today, which uh, it's like Nostradamus in a way. It's kind of fascinating, you know, that <laughs> I love they were that. able to kind of do that. Yeah. And I'll add, it's, it's interesting because it is a really good job of allowing the audience to re-examine their own racial prejudices that they may have through the eyes of these characters because the characters are so varied and they each offer a different distinct point of view yeah. that someone may see for themselves. And that's why I think it holds up because – everyone's going to be one of those people within that courtroom one day. One day, I'm the type of guy who hopes one day someone call me into a courtroom because I would love to be in a situation like this. Call me a little altruistic (laughs) or naive or whatnot, but like there's something where it's actually the justice system only works in some idealistic scenario, but there's actually people who actually care and want to learn and want to listen. And I think that what Sidney Lumet did for this movie is fantastic. And it's one of my favorite films of all time, as well as one that holds up. Yeah, 1957's 12 Angry Men. I'm just curious. Um, were you a fan of women talking this year? I can't remember if I saw you. I, yes. I, I need to put my top That's, 10 out. I haven't really, I've only done it on Twitter like one time a while ago, but I think I might make some tweaks and put that on Instagram and Twitter again. But okay. yes, women talking is my second favorite film of last year. I, I love it so much. Well, that's a great example of, you know, filmmakers using basically one setting yes. uh, with multiple multiple characters. And, you know, I mean, 12 Angry Men has got to be, at least on a popularity scale, is probably one of the first ones to really do that. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it's like happening in one room and one place. I mean, obviously, Room from a few years ago room. with Brie Larson is another, you know. Mass. One. My second Mass. film of the other two years ago was ironic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which, yeah, dealing with these issues, man, you get to one location and, you know, <laughs> let's air it out. But, yeah. Okay, so 12 Angry Men, great pick, man. That's your number two. It's my, my number two. two uh, my regular listeners right now, and I have a couple of them watching over on YouTube as we're recording this, are probably like, okay, what's his number one? What's his number two? <laughs> they know it's these. My number two movie. Anytime it can fit onto a list on this show, you better believe I'm putting it on there, but it is Steven Spielberg's Jaws from 1975, the year that I was born, by the way, and easily... One of the greatest movies of all time, definitely in my opinion. But I feel like if you ask anybody that studies film, they're not going to argue that point with you. It basically created the summer blockbuster. I mean, we wouldn't have, you know, Marvel movies and, you know, all these different 
franchises and, you know, Avatar. I mean, we wouldn't have all these like blockbuster iconic films without Jaws kind of starting that phenomenon. And it just changed mm-hmm. the box office game. Uh, you know, there's so many different things I've said about this movie and so many things I could say. I want to hear what my guest thinks, but this is, I mean, you see the poster behind me here. Uh, this is easily one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think you I know, Spielberg's <laughs> direction of the film. Yeah. I think Spielberg's direction of the film is really something to be admired and studied. And it is, I mean, filmmakers study it and, you know, he, I, I wasn't giant fan of the Fablemans this year. But I do think the guy's the goat. I mean, he is absolutely one of the best filmmakers of all time. And in my opinion, I think Jaws is probably his best movie. I really do. I think it's probably either that or maybe Saving Private Ryan from a direction standpoint. Mm-hmm. But the, just the, the experimental things he did with the camera in this movie. And you got to remember it's 1975. I mean, this isn't like a couple of years ago. I mean, this, you know, I mean, he no. had to work with what he had to work with in the 70s, which was not what we have today. So it's a tremendous feat from that aspect, too. But what do you think of Jaws as my number two? Well, I was going to actually add upon there. I think it succeeds because that he was constrained. And I think a lot of directors can really excel in that. And Spielberg is one of those people. I kind of knew Jaws would be in your top two because I watched sure. the Spiel. I listened to the Spiel- Steven Spielberg uh, 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 top five. I knew your love for that yeah, film. And, yeah. and it's actually it – is, it is an honorable mention for me mainly because – I, I do think it is his best work. I agree with you. I think it is objectively his best work as a director because this is when he started to really hone in on who he was as a director. Yeah. And personally, uh, I think it's his best and it's also my favorite. Um, absolutely love this film. It's a great number two. It's in my honorable mentions and I have nothing else to complain because it is such a perfect blockbuster. <laughs> it's a pl- it's a perfect blockbuster. I mean, who doesn't love that good old Dolly Zoom that we're going to see? Know. Oh, oh more that's such so, so good. good. So good. So good, man. I mean, the guy went on to become the goat, but you could see it. You know, one of the greatest jump scares in film histories in this movie. The head in the oh, underwater popping out. Uh, I mean, I the guy it. knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know, that's well, my point. But, you I know, I brought this now. movie Ooh. up, Manning. I feel bad. I brought this movie up and actually my number one as well, probably like at least 10 times on different episodes on this show. And I've been lucky enough that all my guests have been like on board with me. So I'm like going to keep bringing it up. Cause I feel like one of these days I'm going to have a guest who's going to be like, that movie sucks. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm going to just go off. I'm going to go in. So, so we'll see, but <laughs> luckily you're on board with me. So my totally. number two is jaws from 1975. Beautiful, man. Did you ever ride the ride at universal? You ever do that? No, I never did, which is unfortunate. You got to do that, man. I hope it's still it's there. It's still actually. there. I don't know what's there so. anymore. It's, they've changed, man. They've changed so you, much. You, you've seen Mallrats, right? The Kevin Smith. No, I haven't seen Mallrats. Oh, okay. Well, there's a scene. <laughs> there's a scene in Mallrats. I'll just make this quick. No, you're fine. But uh, Brody's talking, and he's like, you know, talking to uh, uh, what's the main character's name? Somebody help me out in the chat. I can't remember the main character's name. TJ or anyway, he's talking to the main character. He's like, the main character is telling Brody that he he uh, proposed to his girlfriend. And he's like, well, you're kidding. Where? He goes, at Universal Studios. He goes, you're kidding. What part? And he goes, when Jaws popped out of the water. And he goes, that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) The most romantic thing I've ever heard. You know what? Oh, man. It cracks me up. Props to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's Kevin Smith, though. You know, what are you going to do? But I love his humor. So, 
All right, so we're up to our number ones, Manning. Uh, you're a good dude. I love your list so far. You had 12 you. Angry Men as your runner-up, and you got some good picks over there. Let's see. What is the number one movie that you think still holds up today? All right. This is – okay. Now that I'm looking back, I'm over here like, do I want this to be, do I want this to be my number one still? The answer is yes. I still want this one to be my number one. Um, sure. This is what I think. It's funny because when this movie first came out, I obviously wasn't born. But when I finally watched it, when I was actually uh, old enough, I didn't really like it. I was kind of bored by it. Oh, wow. And okay. the more that I started to watch it over and over again, not only did I appreciate it more, I kept finding so much that was so profound about how it viewed the world and how it kind of viewed filmmaking and how it revolutionized filmmaking. And just call me a basic film bro because my number one is Citizen Kane. Oh, nice, dude. So Nice. You know, I was wondering if it was going to come up because I left it off of my list, but I only came to it recently. So I feel like oh, recency yeah. bias. I didn't. I don't know. I mean, I I, I liked it, but I guess like I'm going to let you talk about it, obviously. But what, oh, yeah. what I just want to say real quick is like, you know, yourself included. I mean, I hear people talk about greatest film of all time and this and that and Orson Welles. And, you know, and then you see something after hearing that for 15, 20 yeah. years. You know, it's just I don't know. It's a different intake, you know, than if you see it and are part of that conversation. So. I came to it much later. I only saw this actually a couple years ago for the show. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen it before. I have friends that think it's the greatest movie of all time. They love it. Obviously, you love it. Um, I respect it and appreciate it. I just, I, I don't know. I, there's something, I, I feel like I just came to it too late well, at, at the end of the day. I won't disagree with you because when I first watched it, I did thought it did not live up to the hype. So I agree with you. I had to watch it subsequent rewatch and kind of dissect it and learn a lot about it because it's a very emotionally distant film. Everything feels mm -hmm. very kind of like you're just kind of watching things play out. But the more you look at it, not only from a technical standpoint, did it really revolutionize like a lot of filmmaking techniques? Orson Welles truly kind of like said, you know what? I'm going to I'm about to redefine how we do a lot of the filmmaking right now, right here. Mm -hmm. Do I I, it's not it's not like a wonderful life where it wears its heart upon its sleeve it's a it's another film that's kind of very cynical in nature of how humans at the at their deep core uh when power overtakes you it just kind of corrupts it's like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and considering mm -hmm. that this is kind of the character of charles foster kane that Orson Welles plays like he is kind of he is a media conglomerate and I think this holds up today because of what we are seeing I'm in I'm in I'm in local news but local news local news is not the CNNs the Fox News is the MSNBCs we're we're not that we're very small but in comparison like this is a man that was a tower among giants the closest thing you can find is a is a Rupert Murdoch from nowadays this sure. is a this is someone who controlled it with an iron fist and it views kind of a cynical reach where I think this movie holds up so well only because it's a technical marvel that I look back and I see so many amazing shots, so many interesting ideas that he puts into screen, but also because of just Orson Welles' view of kind of how media can be so corrupted and kind of a cautionary tale about what happens when someone loses their humanity. I, yeah. For those who haven't seen it, like obviously Rose Bud is well. Can I? I won't spoil it because I feel like there's no. Some go ahead. It's a 1940s movie or you're whatever. Right. You're fine. <laughs> Rose Bud is the sled, and it shows. And if that's all that he cared about in his dying breath was Rose Bud as a sled, 
the happy memories that he used to have, that kind of shows that maybe he had lost something and maybe we too can lose something, which is why I think that the older that we get and distant from our childhood and who we thought we were going to be. So I truly think that this movie holds up because uh, only is it a cautionary tale, very cynical, but cautionary nonetheless. It's just a technical masterwork that I look back and I see so many things that think that were that were done then or at least improved upon. And now something that is um, some things now that are uh, um, how do I say this, uh, that people use nowadays in film techniques. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was influential in that way. Yeah. Influential. I mean, that's this, the word. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know what you meant. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, like I said, I, I fear that I just came to it too late. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. a huge fan of Mank when it came out, despite my love of David Fincher. I just didn't really connect to that movie. I wanted to watch Citizen Kane before mm-hmm. seeing Mank, and I did. And I like Citizen Kane more than Mank. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but, I, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure a lot of people probably say that, but. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, it was good. I just, I need to kind of get on the boat of like, you know, rewatching it a couple times and really trying to study the the characters and mm-hmm. kind of seeing what I can see in terms of like what you said about what came after it and what it influenced. Um, and I knew I was ho- actually hoping this was going to come up because I feel like this is one oh, of those nice. movies that is considered, you know, groundbreaking as it is today, as it was back then, you know, so. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned it, and it's actually in my episode art that I already made for the episode. I kind of feel like this is one of those movies that fits in the category. So I, look at you, look at you. You helped me out by mentioning it. <laughs> You're welcome. And may I ask a question about your Citizen Kane watch? Is that you watched about two or so years ago, right? Yeah, like two or three years ago. Yeah, two or three years ago. I would recommend to maybe watch it again this year, then wait another two years or whatnot because I right, saw it yeah. too young. But I think if you just kind of look at it and look at it from more of like a, as I said, look at it from a not an emotional film, but more of a kind of like a, 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 a um, uh, how do I say this? Kind of a, what, what study. not to be, a study, a study, if you will, of like, of, of human, humanity and all of their flaws. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a good, actually a good, good homework. I think I should do that. You know, I was thinking every five years, but that's if, Manning Frank, if Manning Franks is telling me every two years, and I'm going to do every two years. That's every fine. two years. <laughs> I need to do. I need to actually see it again too, because I'm curious now about myself. Because it's not one of the best films. It's sorry, it's one of the best films, but it's not the best film. I don't think. I don't know. That's a right. big, tall order to put on. Sure, a film. sure. Well, like I said, I'm glad Citizen Kane got some love tonight. So good pick, man. So that rounds out your top five. This your number one. Look, guys, my number one. I mean, come on. I, I should have to have people type in the chat here. It's Halloween from 1978, mm-hmm. the John Carpenter classic. I also have that poster behind me here. I have the Deborah Hill t-shirt on right now as we're recording, which, by the way, was not on purpose. I just happened to see it when I was looking at the screen oh, here. Was it wasn't. <laughs> I thought it was a tent. I thought it was a hint. <laughs> no, I just put it on today, and that's the shirt I'm wearing as we're recording. But, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to hear what you think of this movie, Manning. But, I, you know, this film, I, there were the Italian horror films. There was Black Christmas that came like five years before this. There were other quote-unquote slasher films, but this movie popularized the slasher, and it really just spearheaded an entire genre. So any movie in the horror genre that would be considered a slasher owes a debt of gratitude to this film. John Carpenter did some extremely experimental things in this film with wide shots, and we were talking about cameras on dollies and that kind of stuff earlier. But, you know, in a 
slasher, kind of like a first person point of view for a slasher was not really being done. And he took it and just made it an art house kind of gave it an art house vibe, but it was still a very scary slasher movie, horror movie at its core. I mean, he, you know, I remember there's infamous stories of Carpenter and Deborah Hill just being like, the, the premise is they're stalking the babysitter. Mm-hmm. There's this psychopath stalking the babysitter. And they're like, well, why? And Carpenter's like, nobody knows. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just stalking the babysitter. And that's the that's it. You know, that's the simple premise that is absolutely terrifying. I mean, if, you know, I live in a neighborhood and I have a bunch of houses on my street here, you know, it's kind of similarly to what's in the movie. The small town neighborhood. I'm in Durham. You're in Greensboro. I mean, if there was a psychopathic killer on the loose wearing a William Shatner mask that was terrorizing babysitters in your neighborhood, you would be terrified. You would be freaked Uh, out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you would be concerned for your neighbors. And uh, Carpenter and everyone involved, Jamie Lee Curtis, introduced to the world here. I mean, I could literally talk about this until I fall asleep tonight. I mean, I love this movie so much. It's one of my favorite films of all time. It's my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, I absolutely love it. And it's from 1978. So it fits the brief Halloween. What do you think, man? Where are you at on it? I really like Halloween. This is funny because I, the slasher genre has never been one that I have truly gravitated towards. Um, and I kind this is the one where I kind of came to it a little bit late because I was never allowed growing up to watch the, the hor- horror films because I, mm-hmm. they, my, my parents thought I would not fall asleep. Um, sure. maybe, but true. I mean, even <laughs> as an adult, sometimes I'm like, wow, I can't fall asleep after that. Um, but I, I truly believe that Halloween is, I mean, there's a reason that Michael Myers is who he's, who he is. And I think honestly, with the introduction of Jamie Lee Curtis as the scream queen that she was, I, I genuinely think that this is a movie that is kind of a classic from a John Carpenter. I haven't, I've never seen The Thing, so I can't say that this is... Mm, I know, I have never seen The Thing. Homework. I know, ding, I ding, know, ding. Right? Like, what's going off, buddy? You know, <laughs> it's like, funny. Uh, that wouldn't have fit the brief because that was 82, but right. uh, The Thing is actually his best movie from a technical craft standpoint. I've heard, And yes. he's done a lot of movies, uh, and I love him as a filmmaker, but that's John Carpenter. And actually, he has said that that's his best movie, The Thing. I see. I did not uh, it, know that. Wow. It opened. It opened against ET. We we're talking about Spielberg earlier, Oof. so that screwed him. But yes, it, yes uh, it did. But from a technical like craft, like when you watch it, I mean, just the score, the the practical effects, the camera work, the cinematography, like yeah, he's never done anything as good as the thing. It doesn't fit in our brief tonight, so I couldn't no. consider it. But Halloween is still. I still prefer Halloween, but I, it's just my personal bias of the slasher and Michael Myers is my favorite horror icon and, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and so on and so on. So, but yeah, to your point, the reason I brought that up is because you need to see the thing. I mean, it's John Carpenter's best movie. I listen, I do. I do not deny that. I have put that up for far too long. I've seen clips on YouTube and I know of its genius use of practical effects. I think that's like, yeah. I think that's kind of like revolutionary with a lot of stuff that they, he did yeah. at that time. But I was merely saying that I've not, I've not seen the thing, but apparently if it's his best, then I can't really say. But Halloween, I think, is such a well-crafted thriller slash horror film. And I I truly think, especially with the fact of just the music in and of itself, the iconography that he has with the music. So good. Like I think it holds up because I think this is what a lot of slasher films look to and are like, you know what? 
if we can just emulate this, maybe yep. we'll have a successful hit on our hands. Yep. It's an equation that gets regurgitated and used over and over again, but it's a successful one. I mm -hmm. mean, a ton of success for other franchises, other filmmakers that are really using this template, you know, and I mean, in fairness, I mean, John Carpenter is not going to listen to this, but in fairness, if he did, <laughs> he would tell you. <laughs> yeah. If he, if you do, I love you, John Carpenter, but he used black Christmas, you know, black Christmas was his template, you know, and oh, wow. it's, and he would tell you that. And I've heard that him say that in interviews that he saw that movie and he was like, mm. you know, Bob Clark did this movie. It's fucking amazing. Like I want to basically do like an American version of that. And instead of it being sorority girls, I wanted to be the babysitter in this small town or whatever. And it's like the same. Cause if you watch black Christmas and then you watch Halloween, I mean, they're basically the same movie. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, minimize it or whatever, but they're basically the same kind of like trajectory through the film. Uh, and so he wasn't the first one to do it as my point, but again, he popularized it and he revolutionized it and the camera work is phenomenal. And he just spawned yeah. basically a subgenre of slasher, at least in America. You know, I know it was happening in Italy. I mean, there's some great Italian horror films that um, were way before Halloween. And I understand that. And I agree with that. Hmm. But I think from a popularity standpoint, what people are going to know is they're going to know Michael Myers. They're going to know Laurie Strode, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, and they're going to know the Halloween franchise. And that's because of what Carpenter did with this movie. So it's easy for me. It was, well, I shouldn't say easy because Jaws and Halloween are like my two kids. You know what I mean? So it was not easy, uh, but Halloween is my number one as we're sitting here right now for films pre-1980 that still hold up today. I was so about to say, don't tell your kids that you chose one over the other, you know? <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> well, but they're going to be like, which one am I? Am I Jaws or Halloween? I'll it's be like, like you'll uh, never know. <laughs> no, no, not right now. <laughs> you'll never know. All right. I love both of you, but you know. <laughs> so there you go. Those are our top five movies that we think still hold up today. Manning, we're going to take a quick promo break. When we come back, we're going to give our honorable mentions. Now, I need you to limit it to five. I make my guests do that. I can't remember if I told you. So limit it to five. I'll give five honorables as well. We'll shout out the fans online, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, we're going to go to promo, guys. I want to remind everybody, Manning, I think you know this, but I do my own movie awards every year, so the Golden Peas are coming up. The award ceremony is March 13th. And voting is still open as you're listening to this episode. So make sure you head over and vote for your favorite movies from 2022. And they will hopefully get recognized when we do the award ceremony on March 13th. We're going to run a promo for that. And when we come back, we will wrap up our honorable mentions. Manning, sit tight. We will be right back. Hello there, this is Julio from The Contrarians, and if the following ad read doesn't quite sound like me, that's because Gerald wrote the script. Well, let's see how this goes. <clears throat> Every year, Gerald from Two Peas puts on his own personal movie awards affectionately called The Golden Peas, honoring the previous year in film. This year will be the first as a YouTube broadcast and we'll have guest presenters giving out awards in seven movie categories including Best Movie, Best Female Performance, and Best Horror Movie, just to name a few. And the best part about all of this is that the winners are voted on and chosen by you. These awards are 100% based on your participation and votes. Please help us share and promote it leading up to the event and don't forget to cast your ballot this year. Head over to twopeaceonapod.com slash golden to see the list of nominees and cast your votes. 
Then, tune in on Monday, March 13th at 9.30pm Eastern Standard Time to see the winners revealed live on YouTube. We will have some amazing special guests and Gerald will be joined by co-host, the god of podcasting himself, Brian Loisos. We hope you join us this year to once again celebrate our shared love of the movies. And cut, print, one take. You're welcome. Welcome back, guys. My buddy, my new buddy, Manning Franks is here. And we just talked about our top five movies that we think still hold up today, regardless of when they were released. We had a lot of oldies but goodies, which I guess could be the title of this episode, too. I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, Honestly, it could. You know? It really could. Yeah, it should actually be maybe that. I don't know. Maybe I'll change that. But uh, remind everyone, Manning, what was your top five again over there, man? My top five were as follows. Y'all ready? It was number five, The Apartment. Number four, It's a Wonderful Life. Number three, The Wizard of Oz. Number two, 12 Angry Men. Number one, Citizen Kane. There you go. Nice list, man. My number five was My Fair Lady. Maybe the surprise of the night. My number four was Alien from 1979. My number three was also The Wizard of Oz. My number two was Jaws. And my number one was Halloween. Don't tell my kids because they're actually, their names are actually Halloween and Jaws. So I don't want them to know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're not. <laughs> don't, I was about to say. Uh, uh, people that listen to the show might be like, that might actually be true. <laughs> I don't know about this guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Halloween, my number one. So uh, real quick, Manning, what honorable mentions do you have that didn't quite crack your top five? I'm, I'm going to make you keep it to five honorables. But what do you got over there, man? Well, thank you for keeping me honest by keeping it down to five. But thankfully, sure. all I had were five. So we're still good. Okay. Um, my five that I had, I had, of course, Jaws. That was one that I had. I really wanted, I love that film as much. Um, it's the one film that's in the seventies. Um, I also have singing in the rain. The other musical that I really wanted to add upon there. Fantastic classic. I love it. Uh, double indemnity, which I truly believe to be one of the best noir films out there. And it was so close to making into the top. So close to making into the top 10, uh, so top five, excuse me. And mm-hmm. Psycho, which I truly believe revolutionized horror films, uh, thanks to Alfred Hitchcock oh, yeah. at that time, uh, really subverted oh, yeah. the genre. And then finally, the one that I found to be kind of six and five was going back and forth on it, but I went with Apartment instead. It's Casablanca, which is oh, a yeah. classic, but I decided I wanted to give some love to The Apartment, which people don't talk about as much. I agree with you. You know, I mean, I agree with you and I commend you for that because, uh, you know, a guest, I was telling you, I had a guest on a couple of years ago that turned me on to the apartment and I'm so glad he did. Whereas Casablanca, it's kind of like, yeah, I've heard of it, you know, a thousand yeah. times. I mean, it's great, you know, and I actually considered it for this list too, but uh, great shout out. My number six would have been Night of the Living Dead, the George A. Romero classic that also created a subgenre in the zombie film. People know that I love that movie, uh, Night of the Living Dead. My number seven would have been Creature from the Black Lagoon, my favorite Universal monster movie from 1954. So you can see a little horror theme going on my list here, Manning. I can. <laughs> uh, that's a film that my that's a film that my young son has seen, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, oh, and kind wow. of slowly introducing him to kind of like lesser horror, kind yeah, of yeah. getting him, you know, getting him ready, and he he dug it. My number eight, you mentioned, would have been Singing in the Rain, uh, another musical on my list. My number nine would have been Hitchcock, but it would have been Vertigo. It's my number nine. Another classic. A film that, I mean, just the colors and just kind of how he's pining for this, like, uh, you know, woman throughout the whole film. And then we get that, like, eerie plot twist at the end. And 
it's just kind of a social commentary on like the male gaze. And mm. I don't know, man, it's just, it's just a very timely film that I feel like if you watch it today, you'd be like, okay, like Hitchcock was onto some stuff here. Either that or he was part of the problem. I was <laughs> but about either to say, way, maybe that or maybe that was him. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, but either way, you kind of look at it and go, yeah, it kind of makes sense watching it today. So yeah. Vertigo would be my number nine. And then you mentioned my number 10 would have been 12 Angry Men. So there you go. Awesome. So uh, great discussion, buddy. Now, what I like to do to end every episode of Manning is I head over to social media, I open up the old suggestion box, and I see what the fans had to say. So let's head over there. I just said, what movies do you think hold up? and are as good today as they were when they were released. And then I let everyone know that it has to be pre-1980. So here we go. You ready? So ready. Tony Dobbish, patron and friend of the show, says Jaws and Alien. So I Classics. obviously am on board there. But he also says The Godfather. What do you think about that? Oh, that is true. That is, that is, that is very true. I see. This is a controversial. The mob genre is not one that I usually gravitate toward. However, The Godfather is an undeniable classic, so I can't really – it's hard to argue against it just because of how influential and just the quality exactly. of Francis Ford Coppola's film. So while it's not on mine, I can't really argue. Yeah, I agree. I, I, by the way, I haven't done top five mob movies yet. I need to add that to the list. Ooh. So remind, remind me to do that because I'll forget by the time we stop. <laughs> I'll remind you right now. Don't forget to do the mob movies, Joe. Put that on your list, yeah. Uh, Steve Kite says Halloween from 1978. Steve, you are correct, sir. That was my number one. Uh, Jared Taylor, patron and friend of the show, says The Exorcist, Clockwork Orange, Ooh. and Halloween. How do you feel about the other two that didn't get mentioned there? Stanley Kubrick. That's a great – I've never watched a Clockwork Orange only because – Oh, wow, okay. Only because I know how <laughs> – <laughs> I know how much of a trip it's well that, but I know how much yeah. of a trip it's going to be, and I'm like, I'm not emotionally ready for this film, so I've just kept putting it off for so long. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but you got to no, be the right place for it. Yeah. Oh, you have you have to be literally. Plus, I already have "Sing in the Rain" in a happy way on this. On this, I'm not going to use it in the other way because they they sing "Sing into the Rain," don't they? If I'm not mistaken, they do. Yeah, Ooh, they do. Yeah, no. yeah, like a little number yeah. there. Yeah, Whew. and but yeah, Exorcist, great choice. I forgot about that one, but that is that is an excellent, probably probably one of the most quintessential horror films of all time, if I'm not mistaken. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, Drew Hallam, patron and friend of the show, says Alien, Singing in the Rain, Yo Jimbo, Rear Window, 12 Angry Men, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I think that Akira Kurosawa making the list was excellent. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't, I forgot about Akira Kurosawa when I was making this list. See, that's the problem. There are so many good ones. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, let's see. Christiani said that I was just trying to find another way to shoehorn Jaws into an episode. <laughs> and then he said <laughs> that he'll say Apocalypse oh. Now. Apocalypse Now. Are you a fan of that one? I, I actually haven't seen Apocalypse Now. It was on my, it was just a few months ago. We did our top five blind spots and that's, mm -hmm. that was number one for me, I think. Oh, it's, it's really good. I, I remember watching it on TV. However, so I'm not exactly sure what was cut out and what was not cut out from Apocalypse Now is the problem. Sure. I sure. saw it at my grandparents a while ago, and I really do think that that movie, especially Marlon Brando, who I, is kind of haunting in that movie. Plus, who doesn't love the smell of napalm in the morning? Exactly. Joey Mills says, Casablanca, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. I don't know if that holds up today, Joey. Mm, <laughs> I'm go ahead and throw I that out there. <laughs> I will really push back. I love Joey so much, but I don't know that. That one holds up in 2023, but that's funny. He also <laughs> says Young Frankenstein, Cool Hand Luke, Thunderball, and Star Wars. 
You know, my wife, oh. um, I told her, I always kind of tell my wife the topics when I'm brainstorming my list. And I told her the topic and she said, the first thing she said was Star Wars. But Manning, I was thinking like, I don't know that that first Star Wars really does hold up because you have all this just like The Last Jedi and Force Awakens and all all these new like technological advances and special effects. And like, in yeah. other words, I tried to show my, I have showed right. my son the original trilogy and he was not as taken to it as he is to the new trilogy. So, you know I, what I mean? I don't know if it holds up in that way. I think it holds, it's, it's interesting too, because uh, it's funny because I showed my fiance a new hope like a while ago and, and she was not as, as beguiled by it as say I was when I watched it as a kid. So now I'm thinking if you're coming into this, if you're coming into nowadays watching it, are you not, do you not have that same attachment unless you watched it as a right. kid in a certain generation? So I'm really curious. That's a great question because I didn't have yeah. it on this list for that reason. Plus also people talk about it all the time, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. Star mm-hmm. Wars is Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, Joey DiCarlo says, Drunken Master, Alien, and Rocky Horror Picture Show. There you go. He's oh. marrying the horror and musical love there. I there appreciate that. Uh, Josh Raglan, patron in front of the show, says A New Hope. He also says The Muppets Movie, War- The Warriors, oh. and Apocalypse Now. The Muppets is a good, good, good choice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Joey Austin says Paper Moon. Mm, that's a good That's Tatum O'Neill, right? That's a good one. I don't think I've seen that. I've not seen that one before, actually. So that's another, that's a blind spot for myself. And then he also says airplane, but I think airplane was 1980, Joey. So that would not have been eligible, but that is a freaking hilarious movie though. It is. Although the question would be the same thing with Blazing Saddles. Would that movie also hold up today? Is it funny? (laughs) Yes, it is. Exactly. It was funny in 1980. You know, I don't know. Uh, Brett Parker, uh, new patron to the show, says Halloween, Jaws, Alien, The Exorcist, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's a good one. Shit. <laughs> I forgot that oh. one. He, he also says Psycho and The Muppet Movie. I Psycho, forgot yes. Texas Chainsaw 1974. I should have had that in my honorables at least. So that's a good list there, Brett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lauren Scott, a friend of mine in real life that works at Disney World, so it's no shocker. She says Mary Poppins. There you go. <gasps> Oh, that's a good. Oh, I. Oh, that should have been. Yeah. Um. Oh, wow. Oh well. Too late. Yeah, that's so, a good. I, remember how I said my my list was ever evolving? Well, apparently it's still evolving even right now after it's been up. <laughs> that's a good one. Sam Hurley over there in New Zealand. He's even internationally giving me suggestions. He says Paper Moon, Twelve Angry Men, Psycho, mm-hmm. Casablanca, and Seven Samurai. So great, great picks. Another one. Uh, Travis Crawford says Halloween, The Apartment, and Lawrence of Arabia. So you got another apartment uh, mentioned there. That's great. I'm glad that The Apartment Love was shown. But also, Lawrence is an excellent choice. I I debated putting that one on there as well. But I didn't say – the reason I didn't put it on there would be only because – there is some questionable brown face in that movie that yeah, I'm like. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm, yeah. Come on, yeah, people. Yeah, you, come on. But other than that. Yeah, you look back on old Hollywood and you go, really, guys? Like, Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know. Alec Guinness, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And then I'll end on Paul from The Countdown, a good friend of mine. And he, the reason I'm ending on his suggestion here is because he listed my top three. <laughs> this guy's an absolute stud. I mean, he's cheating off my homework, but here we go. He he's says Jaws, up, yeah. Alien, and Halloween. So, bam. There you go. Paul knows what's up. Nice. So, those. Uh, thank you guys so much for the suggestions this week. It really means a lot in the suggestion box. 
And if I didn't get to yours, I'm so sorry, but thank you so much for the feedback. Manning Franks was here, first-time guest. Hopefully a beautiful relationship, and you'll be back sooner than later. Of course. I am going. I wouldn't miss it for the world, as they say. I want you to tell everybody where they can find you. I hope you had a good time, man. Tell them where they can look you up and what you want to point everybody towards, buddy. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Cine underscore man. That's C-I-N-E underscore M-A-N-N. As well as kind of uh, all around uh, WFMY News 2, where I host News 2 reviews. And I also a photojournalist. So I kind of go around and do community stories in the Piedmont Triad area. And like Gerald, I am also here in North Carolina. So you can find me both on those socials and at Letterboxd at, guess what it is, it's at Manning Franks. Super simple, oh. y'all. I was going to say Cinnamon. <laughs> so no, I'm glad no, I asked. No, it's not. I was like, <laughs> I just take Manning Franks. Why not? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very uh, unique name. I don't feel like you're sharing that name with a lot of people. Am I Manning right? Franks? Or? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think. I think there's, there's like there I, can't I, be another Manning Franks, right? You've got to be the only so. one. There's some Franks Manning. There's some Frank Mannings. But that's it. There should be a Frank Manning. I agree with that. Yes, there is. That. I think you're. <laughs> I think you're probably the only Manning Franks, though. I'm gonna. We need to figure that out. We need to look into that. But we'll you've got to be the only it. one. We'll verify it. Yeah. Well, there's other Gerald Morris's I know because there's an author, actually a famous author, that's named Gerald Morris. Really? I'm like, bro. Like that's my. He's taking your name. Going. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Sue, yeah. You should sue. <laughs> Take half of his earnings. Put me as a, a you know credit in the book or something. You know. All right, man. So uh, it was a lot of fun, Manning. I appreciate you being here. Hopefully, I'll see you out there. You know, in another screening or whatever. But you're definitely welcome to come back on the show anytime you want, man. Thanks so much for doing it. Absolutely, it was an absolute pleasure. I look forward to coming back again and talk about something else, maybe other than just uh, you know when I've actually seen the thing, uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Yeah, you should do that. What was the one that I said we hadn't? Oh, it was mob movies, but you don't want to do that. You said that you don't like that genre. I'm not a mob. See, that's the thing. Unless you could that's like, fine. you would have a perspective about a guy who doesn't really care for mob movies. It'd be very interesting to say the least. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it would be interesting to hear where your list is. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll get you back for something, no matter what. But I want it to be something you enjoy, though. So we'll figure it out. Awesome. Manning Franks, uh, all his information will be down below in the show notes. Make sure you guys check that so you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And look up his uh, News 2 reviews as well and check it out. Even though it's local here, uh, obviously he's covering movies. So give it a watch, give it a thumbs up, do all that stuff. Manning, thanks so much for being here, man. And guys, we will be back next week. We'll have another top five for you. Until then, everybody take care.